Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. Ladies, gentlemen, bosses, it's episode 64 of the Presentation Boss Podcast. And today we're talking to another of our super exciting wishlist guests, Nolan Hames. Now, I have been following Nolan's work for years. I remember when I first got into podcasting, I did a search for like presentation-based podcasts. And this one popped up, which was called The Presentation Podcast. (laughs) And Nolan is one of the three co-hosts on that. And listening to these three people on the podcast, I just really liked his stuff. And years of listening to him and reading his stuff and following him, I just recognized that he is really a leader in data visualization and PowerPoint. Hmm. Now, I have to admit, Thomas has been talking about this podcast and about this guy for years. And then he booked him to come on the show and said that I had to listen to a few of these podcast episodes um, to do some research because we do like to research and get to know our guests before we have them on. Yeah. And I was like, Thomas, I don't want to hear about your stupid PowerPoint podcast. (laughs) For years I've endured that. Yep. And then I listened to a few episodes and it's really good. (laughs) I really like it. So there's another recommendation. If you're looking for another presentation podcast, I recommend the presentation podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Our podcast just has an extra boss in there. Just a bit of a coincidence of the naming. And I listened to quite a few other things and started following Nolan's work as well. And I... And I totally understand why you've admired and really followed this man for a long time. It's quite uh, exciting to speak to him. Like I say, their podcast is about presentations, not just PowerPoint. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) So over the years, uh, Nolan has introduced us to some brilliant presentation ideas, like the concept of eye gaze, having one idea per slide and the one second chart, all of which I think we've talked about on this show before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we discuss all of those in a little bit more detail in this episode. So why don't we get into it, Kate? Let's go. With more than 20 years of experience in the field of visual communications, Nolan Hames helps individuals and organizations tell better stories with fewer words. He has created thousands of presentations, including keynote addresses for Fortune 500 CEOs, TED Talks, and multi-million dollar winning agency pitches. In a past life, Nolan was an award-winning magician and juggler and performed with the Moscow Circus and Vermont's Circus Smirkus before turning to theater. He directed and wrote professionally, creating stories on stages in New York and around the USA for a decade. As vice president and director of presentation for Edelman, the world's largest PR firm, he founded and ran a department dedicated to raising the agency's bar on visual communication. He runs his own visual communications consultancy in Montclair, New Jersey. Nolan trains organizations to think visually, speaks at national conferences, writes about visual storytelling at presentyourstory.com and is a co-host of the Presentation Podcast. As one of only 35 Microsoft PowerPoint MVPs in the world, he regularly advises the PowerPoint development team. So, Nolan, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, So, we've just heard your official bio, the one that's on the website, but can you tell us who is Nolan when he's not at work? Uh, who am I when I'm not at work? Well, I just put my two twin daughters to bed. They're going to be three in just a couple of weeks. So that's pretty much my life when I'm not working. Um, 
we live uh, we live about 30 minutes outside of Manhattan uh, in New Jersey. Swore I'd never live in New Jersey for <laughs> <laughs> it means more if you if you're uh, from this area. But uh, here I am. Uh, so we live in a great little 1928 Tudor house. We got a great dog named Banksy, named after the artist. And uh, yeah, the girls the girls pretty much just uh, keep us keep my wife and I on our toes. And that's what I'm doing. I used to I used to uh, do triathlons until a year or so ago and the girls sort of started making that a little more difficult um yeah but uh i don't know i did you did you cover my my sordid past before my my life and uh, presentation well i heard that you have a background in circus i am quite obsessed with circus stuff in general um what did you do what in- way <laughs> uh, i i love the acrobats i okay. absolutely love um aerials specifically but acrobats okay. are just i just could watch it all day um, but what did you do in the circus? Uh, so I, I mean, as a kid, like uh, you know, I guess like every kid, I, I picked up magic, and but then I kind of, I kind of stayed with it, and I taught myself to juggle. And I, when I was fourteen, I started working with a circus in Vermont um, in the summers, and then we did an exchange with the Moscow Circus School when I was sixteen. So I went to this will date me. We actually we went over to the Soviet Union. It was the Soviet Union at that point, um, and uh, we did an exchange with the Moscow Circus, and I just. You know, I was uh, all th- in my teen years. I was a juggler and magician, and and worked in circuses, and that led into my. Uh, I knew I never wanted to be a performer. It's, uh, you know, I enjoyed it as a kid, but I wasn't wasn't gonna you know make a career out of it. And that transitioned into theater. So I have a degree in theater and dramatic writing from Northwestern. Wow. And then for a decade, I was a, a professional playwright and director in Chicago and New York and and around the country. And that somehow transitioned into the world of presentation. <laughs> And, uh, and here I am. So I'm on my third or fourth career uh, at this point. Which is, is such an interesting leap. So I'm interested, like, what compelled you to move from what we've just heard into being, like, you're a data viz trainer now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I tell people I made my fortune in theater and retired. Um, <laughs> not quite true. So, I mean, I was, I was temping, doing graphic design on the side uh, while I was working in theater always. And I just, I fell into this, this niche of presentation design because nobody else did it and I just started getting work and that just led one thing to another I ended up getting hired by Edelman which is one of the world's largest PR companies to start up and run their visual communications department in New York City Um, and I think that was sort of the first one of its kind in the PR industry and you know oversaw hundreds and hundreds of pitches and presentations um and then that you know just snowballed basically from there and i sort of left the, started leaving the theater behind as i realized that this presentation thing was was uh paying a lot more money <laughs> than, than the theater and was a lot more stable and, and in demand mm-hmm. um and then the data is kind of just grew out of the presentation because i'm not i'm not a numbers guy i lasted one day in statistics in college it's like it's oh, not wow. my thing I, you know, as you're, when you're working in presentation, you're making charts and graphs, you're visualizing data. That's Mm. just part of it. And I just started reading and learning and, you know, becoming a student of of Tufty and Stephen Few and, you know, all, all the, the, the usual suspects Mm. and really got into it before, I guess, sort of the, the more current data viz explosion, I guess, of the last, you know, five or six years. Mm. Um, And so my focus is still, I'm not like a heavy numbers guy. I'm not a tableau person. Um, I, I can't, I don't know Excel backwards and forwards. I, I'm not, I still don't know how to do a pivot table. Don't, you know, don't judge me. But, um, <laughs> but from a per- presentation perspective with regard to data is that 
you know, the way I approach it is generally as glanceable um, charts. Um, and so I teach how to make charts that are instantly under understandable, just as a slide should be instantly understandable. Um, so that's really the, the my my focus. Mm -hmm. And the shift right now in the data viz world, I don't know how closely you follow it, it's kind of shifting towards the other way, where for a long time they were going in that stripping down, you know, Tufty inspired, you know, make it simple, make it clear, what's the story of the chart. Now it's kind of going in the other direction of how much more can we put into it? How much more story can we put it? How can we slice and dice and make it animated and, you know, user this and that? And they want you to spend lots of time in the chart. And that's fine in some situations, many, maybe many situations in journalism, it might work. But when it comes down to presentation, you're going to put something up on a slide, you need to know what it is in, in a second or two. Um, so that's still my, that, that's what I focus on. Because you talk a lot about the one second chart, right? Mm -hmm. which, which is, in my understanding is, if you look at a chart, you need to be able to comprehend it within a second, really. Pretty much, yeah. And, you know, as close to one second as possible. Mm -hmm. I always tell people it's not, um, it's, it's not a chart that takes you one second to, to make. I'm still working on that. <laughs> Um, but it, it's a chart that takes your audience as close to one second. So, I mean, if you have a chart that you put up on screen and right now, because of the design, it takes an audience 10 seconds to read. Well, if you can, you know, apply principles, best practices and things like that to redesign the chart so that it now takes the audience only two or three seconds headed towards that one second goal, yeah. then that's a win, right? If, if you haven't removed information, you've just made it clearer. So that's why, you know, bar chart over pie chart, you know, get rid of the legend, you know, all things like that. So that's, again, as I said, there's this sort of movement in, in data viz in the other way, like, oh, we don't want to strip things out. We want to, we want to make charting and data rich, visually rich with lots of stuff. And I'm like, that's fine. That's a referenceable chart. It doesn't work in presentation. Yeah. It works on in on the web and newspapers, you know, in, in places like that. I've definitely noticed that trend. Um, my personal theory is that you've got all these companies, you've got Tableau and Power BI and all those beautiful um, graphing applications that make data rich and um, content rich stuff. Right. And they're really pushing that. That's where I think it's coming from. So I'm very much that strip it back, just get that really base understanding for presentations as well. And I have noticed a definite push towards something that I get from people sometimes is, oh, we don't need data viz training because we have Tableau. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's yeah. becoming, I think a little bit more common. So we're kind yeah. of fighting a bit of a wave of, of these huge companies, I think, like I said, it's only a personal theory. Yeah. Well, and I do, I do a lot of data reporting as well, just like in print. I, I work in InDesign probably just as much as I work in PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. And I'll do these long, you know, like 100-page data reports that might have 20, 30 charts in them. I mean, just think about somebody having to read that report to skim it, to scan it, which is what people do. People don't read everything you write. I'm sorry. Get over <laughs> it. Um, so just imagine somebody having to spend... 30 seconds with each one of those 30 charts, forget it. Like those charts have to be designed in ways that you could easily digest it. So we're constantly, you know, taking things sent to us that are stacked bar charts and, you know, spaghetti line charts and everything and splitting them out and doing this and spending a lot of time to, to make them more, more easily read. And I think even in that, when you're aiming for, as you say, towards the one second chart, you're placing more focus on what is the message of this graph? What's the one thing I'm trying right. to communicate rather than 
like you say, you see a spaghetti, an upside down spaghetti can on a chart. You, there's, you know, 17 different messages and interpretations you can pull from that, which is right. dangerous in a presentation, right? Right. And, and again, that's what a lot of, you know, I'll say the straw man of, of, you know, a lot of the data viz community right now will say, I, I don't want to tell you what the chart is. I want my audience to discover, you know, what's in there and to spend time with it. And real, And I'm like, well, yeah, but how much time do they have? Like, I mean, I, I've read some, sometimes some online articles that might have five or six interactive charts in a 2000 word article. I'm like, how much time am I really supposed to spend with this article? I mean, seriously, like, yeah. I, like I know you want me to get lost in the data and figure out what I think about it, but there's just so much time we have in life to, yeah. you know, to do that. So I just want to go back on something that you said earlier. You said you're not a, um, you're not the numbers guy necessarily yourself. And I kind of consider myself to be that person a little bit. I've got an analytics background. I'm like my, my cup literally. Says. <laughs> this, is, this is great for a podcast. She's uh, uh, My cup literally says that I'm like drinking out of right now. My coffee says I love spreadsheets. <laughs> But I certainly find myself with a little bit, I guess, imposter syndrome when I'm talking to people who are, they like analytics is their life. They've had 30, 40 years in analytics and I've not had that, obviously. Um, so I'm, I'm really just kind of loving that you don't necessarily need to have the absolute best analytics background or understanding to necessarily be able to communicate it well. Well, it always comes down to, I mean, I, client, I, I always tell clients, whether we're doing charting or anything, I, I say to them, you tell me what you are trying to say, and I will help you tell it in the clearest, most visual manner. Now, if you don't understand what your presentation means, if you don't understand what your data means, I'm not an expert in healthcare or insurance or aerospace or you know whatever it might be, whoever the client might be. But if you tell me this chart means X, I can look at it now and say, ah, okay, got it. The problem is currently, X is not being emphasized. So yeah. here we're going to redesign right. the charge now. But if they say, well, you know, all the data points are important or I don't know what it means. That's what I'm coming to you for. Well, then we're into you need to hire an analytics person or you need to hire a, a consultant or a business coach. Um, I mean, I've literally we, we've designed, you know, our, uh, our share of sales presentations over the years and more than once. I've had people come to me and say like sales, like president of VP of sales will come to me and say, um, I want you to design our, our sales deck. I'm like, great, no problem. They said, because our, our, my salespeople don't understand the product. And I'm hoping by you designing the presentation, you can help them you know, understand and sell our product. And I'm like, oh, hold on. Your salespeople don't understand your business. I'm not going to be able to help that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that. That's not me. Like, that's you. Like, you need to go hire somebody else to do that first. If you tell me what, if you know, and I can help people, I help clients tease out what they're trying to say. And a lot of times we do questions and I'll say, all right, you're putting this chart on. What are you trying to say with it? And they say, well, I, I don't really know. It was sent to me. I was like, okay, well, like, let's take a step back and now let's go through it. Let's figure out what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. But that, that's the thing. Whatever it is you want to say, I can help, but you have to take the first step. Um, otherwise it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to be a successful presentation. It's going to be lipstick on a pig. <laughs> is that a, is that a, is that an expression, uh, down there? Yes. I, I never yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That works. It's always a case of like, you can teach the, uh, I mean, like we deal with tech type audiences, right? You can teach the tech people how to communicate their message, but you're not going to be able to teach me tech stuff. Exactly. 
Yeah. Mm. Um, so I am curious to hear your thoughts on pie charts. It's something that's kind of debated in the data biz world. Now we're getting really geeky. I just, I, I, just I know that, that <laughs> question. Um, I'm curious to hear, I mean, my personal opinion is they have a, their place, but a pretty narrow place. I'm, I'm not a never pie charter. Um, <laughs> just because there are a couple, there are some times that, that they do make sense. If you've got one part to a whole, if uh, the concept of 100% genuinely is important, it's, it not, yeah. it's not always and rarely actually. Um, if you're not trying to compare one pie chart to another, then it might be okay if you have like two or three slices. But 90% of the time, uh, a bar chart's going to be better because generally with a pie chart or with most charts, you want to compare things. And a pie chart makes that really difficult, a bar chart or even some other kind of charts make that very simple. Yeah. That said, as I teach that, you know, when I, when I, when I train people in data viz, I, you know, I go through all the reasons and, and we do the, you know, I put the slices up and I say, what do you think the percentage is? And everybody gets it wildly wrong. And I say, now do it as a bar chart. Isn't that much better? Everyone agrees. And then, you know, I say at the end, if you absolutely have to use a pie chart, there are a few things. And then somebody invariably will raise their hand and say, so does this mean you never use pie charts? And I look at them and I say, I have a mortgage. I got a family. Like I've got clients and I will give them, they give me a pie chart, I will give them bar charts back. And if they say we're just more comfortable with pie charts, I might say, but did you look at the bar chart? And when they say I'm just more comfortable with a pie chart, they will get their pie chart. Uh, you yeah. know, I'm not, I'm not going to lose clients over a, yeah. one pie chart in a presentation. I will do my best to educate, you know, and at Cole Nussbaumer, uh, Naflet, do, do you know her storytelling with data? Um, literally that oh, right there. there. Yeah. So <laughs> she, um, she had a, a blog post just last week, basically, I forget what it, the exact title, but it was essentially, what do you do? Is it, or it's something like what, what happens when the old way is the best way or when they insist on the old way? The post was basically, there's some benefit to familiarity. I yep. butcher that word. Familia familiarity. Familiarity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to being familiar with things. So if somebody has spent the last five years looking at sales reports in pie chart form and their stock prices kept going up and you come in and you try to break all that down and they say, yeah, but my CFO is, is comfortable with pie charts. Well, then there's some, there's some benefit to keeping it as pie charts if, if familiar means that they can read it more quickly, right? Now, we hope, we wish we can move people, but being familiar um, is one way to get to a one-second chart. If you're familiar with the data and the chart, then, then that's a good thing. If we're going to break it down and just do it in a different way for the sake of being different, it might not be as, as useful. Yeah, I read that blog post as well. I think she talked about having the um, original, like the old way, plus the new way mm -hmm. for a little while to kind of slowly right. ease people into their transition, which I thought was a, a great, yeah, a great suggestion. And, and I'll do that um, a lot of times. I'll, I'll, if I see the initial content has a lot of pie charts or, you know, just think you know, legends and things, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say, are, depending on the situation, I'll say, are you comfortable? Do you want me to reimagine this data to make it more clear? Or has mm -hmm. this been approved and it's locked down? Sometimes I'll say, don't change it at all. Uh, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, we're open to differences. I don't know if they're going to go yeah. for it. So in that case, we'll keep the pie chart. And then, as you said, we'll do the, you know, here's what our suggestion is. And sometimes they go for it. Sometimes they don't, you know, it's up yeah. to them. I find but it I, interesting um, sometimes though, when you're training people and they kind of say to you, well, yeah, that's great. And I can see that 
you know, let's use that example. I can see that a bar chart's better, but um, my manager just prefers pie charts. And I think like, you've paid me to teach you these skills. Like your manager has paid you, um, yeah. paid me to teach you these skills and you're not allowed to use them. Like that, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And then you get into managing up because that question always, always arises as well. And I, and I say exactly what you said, you know, try a little bit. Don't try to redesign everything. Just mm -hmm. do this one. Just do this one. Do this one, not for the board meeting, but do it for the, the monthly sales meeting first, just to see, you know, how it goes. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it becomes managing up and we've all done it. Um, I, and I always say, I don't train in that. That's a different training. You know, that's somebody else. Um, yeah. It depends how, yeah, and and that's that's the other thing too. I mean, I see a lot of senior people hiring me to train, and then the senior people are nowhere to be found, right? In in the training, yeah, so yeah. they send you know the the more junior people who are like, I'm on board, but my boss isn't going to be. So then we have that conversation. To, um, to people but it's like it's like, look, it's like any consultant. You're hiring me, and I'm going to tell you what to do, and then I and then I leave, and it's up to you uh, whether you're going to take the yeah. advice or not. Yeah, true. It's, I mean, it's not fun to have your advice not be taken, but, you know, but we have enough situations where, you know, I hear from clients years later, it's like, oh, this is totally, you know, changed the way we work or somebody will send me a, a presentation they create and it's like, look, I, look, I made small multiples and, and it's totally great and the client loves it and this is the way we're doing it from now on. I'm like, great, score. Yeah, that does feel pretty great yeah. when that happens. <laughs> you got your money's worth. <laughs> we had um, a company change their entire app interface um, because of the data stuff that we did with them. So that was mm. that was exciting. We, so I, ju I just did a, a rush report for um, a, a nonprofit uh, a couple of weeks ago. And well, a lot to it. Um, we had to do it in a few days. They, they said, we don't have time to do a full report. Let's just do PowerPoint. And I said, well, it can look like InDesign. It can look like a print report. And we did it. And it was all these stacked bar charts. And I was like, I know this is the way you usually do it, but let me just break them all apart and, and do it this way. And I didn't think they were going to go for it. They went for it. We did the whole thing. It got press in the New York Times. The New York Times linked to the report. So wow. it was like, great. Like, so that that was a nice win with the client just basically saying yes to everything, which doesn't always happen, but it's nice <laughs> when it does. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> so let's talk about PowerPoint a little bit, because obviously in our business talk a lot about PowerPoint, we talk about data visualization. You've done the analysis of the data, you've chosen the graphs, made them, I'm guessing in your case, like in Excel or whatever program it is you have, how do we then best leverage displaying that through PowerPoint for a presentation? I, I prefer to keep all my charts live. Um, I, you know, occasionally I'll um, make charts manually in PowerPoint, be it tree maps or, um, or proportional shapes or even stack bar graphs or whatever. And so there's no data tied to that. Although if you have to change it later, you, you can do it pretty easily. Yeah. But um, most of the charting we, we do is, is, is the native built-in stuff. So whether we start in Excel, or whether we start in PowerPoint, it's Excel. I mean, that's the engine, regardless yeah. of which, which program you're working in. So we try to keep it all live um, because as I tell everybody, I especially tell you know, print people, Adobe you know, designers, you know, they're like, why are you working in PowerPoint? And I'm like, well, the, the, the main reason is presentation is a fluid format and things change constantly. Like I, I've never not worked on a presentation where things haven't been changing to the last day. So therefore those, that, those charts need to be embedded in live. And so when the number changes at the last minute, like I've been at too many, I've done too many multi-million dollar pitches 
to to not have things be live or to you just things have to be live so so i try to stay native uh, with regard to that and yeah you can do like you want to make a violin plot great i've never seen a need for that in the world but <laughs> if you want to make it you can make it in a different program and you can bring it into powerpoint as an image great and then the moment it has to change you're you're screwed you have to go back and and bring it back in somehow and um, so yeah, we, we just try to keep everything live. Uh, we try to keep text live. We try to keep images live. Uh, I try to do as much of my, f um, Photoshop work in PowerPoint. Um, we need to make something a little brighter. I'll do it in PowerPoint because if it ends up being too bright, we just take it back down. It's all non-destructive. That's another great thing about PowerPoint. Yeah. I've always been a, um, an image person, but that's really given me cause to stop and think about that. What, what do you mean? Do you, do you do all your work in Photoshop? No, I will bring graphs in as an image because... Oh, oh, I see. I don't know. I think I'm scared of data being corrupted, maybe. Interesting. Well, I mean, the, the, so, I mean, another thing too is when you, when, you have, when you have charts live in PowerPoint, they, you can make use of your, well, yes and no, but <laughs> I was going to say you can make use of your, your color themes. And, and it is true, you can in your font themes. It, yeah. gets, it gets a little wonky because they're not as, as perfect as they should be. The integration is not as perfect, but you can edit things at the last minute. So if somebody mm -hmm. you know, says, oh, I don't like the red in the color palette. Okay, well, we'll change it. We'll bring it down and then it ripples through. Yeah. Um, you know, All the color, the reds that you've applied from the color palette, they're now a little darker and voila. Whereas in your case, you're going to have to go back to the source, you know, change the color yeah. value there, bring them back in, or they're not going to match. Um, so just, I, I just, this is what I just, I stress the ability to remain editable, whether you're in PowerPoint, whether you're in InDesign, those are the two main programs I work in. And I just see designers designing in InDesign, not using styles properly or not setting up table. And I don't know if you work in InDesign at all, but I do, if yeah. you're working in a hundred page document and you set up your table of contents and your styles and your footnotes and this and all that correctly, when the client does insert and everything's threaded and every and a client does insert a new page with two more footnotes and a new section, you can do that in a couple of minutes and, and just make a new PDF versus four hours or a whole day of redoing all the footnotes and doing this and fixing that. And, oh, you don't let, you want the style to be a quarter of a percent larger. Okay, fine. And PowerPoint is not as powerful in that regard. Like it doesn't have styles and other stuff, but it has color palettes, it has fonts. Um, so just that ability to always remain editable is, is huge when so many people are touching things. So I, I subcontract a, a, a good amount of work and I will only hire people who understand that because it comes back to me and I have to make an edit at midnight by myself. I'm happy to do it, but I want it taking a minute and not, you know, four hours. Yep. It's yeah. Be, just that, be. just that, that whole locking things down doesn't. And that's, that's one of my frustrations with uh, InDesign is that it, there are some add-ins and some solutions, but just um, the, the, you can't, you don't really have live charting. Although what we do, have you ever done this? What, what we'll do occasionally is we'll design all everything in PowerPoint. I prefer to have live vector information in InDesign because we can make use of color palettes and things like that. But if we have a ton of them and I know they're changing, we'll do it in PowerPoint, design all the charts in PowerPoint, output a PDF, place the PDF, and it could be like a 30 page PDF, place the PDF in InDesign page by page and you know, crop to whatever. And then when a chart does change, a number does change, we make the change in PowerPoint, make a new PDF, update the link and done. And that's it. And so everything's automatic. Um, 
So that, that's, that's one thing we will do. Yeah, right. It's got me thinking about a slight tangent here, which I know you've talked about it on your podcast. We've talked about it on our podcast is this idea of corporations that, that ban PowerPoint because it's evil, right? And mm -hmm. I think probably every second client we deal with, they'll say to me, look, PowerPoint, we really struggle with. So we tried playing with Keynote for a while and we're thinking about buying a Prezi uh, membership, you know, like subscription. And I always say to them, like, you know, do you own an Office 365 subscription? And invariably the answer is yes. Most people live in a Microsoft ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, why don't we use the tech we've got? Like, what are your, what are your thoughts on this idea that PowerPoint sucks right now? Should we be moving to different software? Like, obviously I have my opinion there. I mean, it's interesting that you said, oh, maybe we should move to Keynote. If they think, move, if they have a business problem with PowerPoint and they think that will be solved by Keynote or Prezi, that's insane. <laughs> if, you, if you say simply we're not going to, you know, nobody is giving, you know, Monday morning uh, sales updates with 30-page PowerPoint decks, that's valid. That totally makes sense. But that's, that's software um, independent. So the companies that ban PowerPoint, like Amazon and uh, I don't know, like every, yeah, I feel like every couple months um, you hear that. And invariably, they don't actually ban it. Um, they still use it. They simply request for meetings, for example, give me a two-page memo. Don't give me a 20-page slide deck. Now, first of all, that two-page memo could be authored in PowerPoint for one thing. We do a lot of print work in PowerPoint. Um, that's that's the first thing. It's in in some cases an easier program to use than Word, um, but yeah, that is totally valid. Um, if you want a memo instead of a presentation, but don't blame PowerPoint for that. It, it mm. literally has nothing to do with it. that's the it, the the culture of PowerPoint. I get, and if people are constantly making slide decks, which really are hard, 20, 20 pieces of paper or twenty screens is much harder to read than a two page, you know, or, you know, single page, double sided memo. I totally get that, um, that I have in advance that I look through and then we go through point by point. So that totally makes sense. But, but there is a time and place for a presentation, full mm -hmm. stop. And if you need to make a presentation, Prezi is not going to help you with that. That's going to make it more difficult. Keynote is not going to be any different than PowerPoint. Um, just because you might have better text rendering that doesn't, that's not going to make, give you a better pre presentation. That's not going to make, cause you to make a better sales presentation. Mm. Um, if you still want to make, you know, throw in 800 graphs and, you know, 10 point type. Cause I think, I mean, the same goes, if people move to like Google slides or Canva as well. Like in my mind, they all do the same thing, which is yeah. what you tell them to. And like the other thing we see as well, I, I get, you know, decks handed to me and it's 30 pages. They've got, you know, two bullet points on each nice headline. And then they're told you can only have two slides now. So we always end up back at two slides. They're just dot point city, right? Like it, right. it is such and then a, it's, such and, then a it's, and then it is in, in actuality, it's that two page Amazon memo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just because it's horizontal, <laughs> you know, so basically Amazon is saying, okay, don't give us two pages of bullet points in landscape mode. Give us two pages of bullet points in portrait mode. Problem oh, solved. So we don't use PowerPoint. Yeah. It's the exact same damn thing, right? Yeah. But psychologically for the person reading, it's actually very different because when we do do print, um, when we do print work in PowerPoint, when we make a report like this thing we just did uh, for the nonprofit, um, 
generally we suggest doing it in portrait mode because it just seeing something in portrait mode gets people out of slide think out of PowerPoint think. And they're like, even if it's the same number of, of pages, it's like, Oh, thank God you gave me a report and not a deck or, or, or what we hear a lot is thank God you didn't give me PowerPoint. It's like, Oh, it's PowerPoint. But you know, again, it's <laughs> yeah. not PowerPoint. And for everybody, I just did air quotes. <laughs> it's not PowerPoint as we know it. Exactly. Yeah. So Nolan, what would you say are the fundamentals that make the difference between an average slide deck and an awesome slide deck, especially in you know, the corporate presentation world? Um, content. It's not design. Uh, it's um, limiting content. It's less con The more successful presentations have far more limited content, far more uh, edited content, far more clear storytelling. Uh, and I, I shouldn't even say that word more, for clear messaging. Let's put it that way. Um, storytelling people start thinking Lord of the Rings and <laughs> Joseph Campbell. And I just, mm -hmm. we don't need that right now. Um, so yeah, it's, it really comes down to that. So the most successful business presentations um, and, and charts and infographics and visual communications of all sorts are the ones that are the most minimal uh, because they've done the work to pare things down no presentation has ever been made better by adding a bullet point. So for adding a hundred bullet points. And when you work on something with multiple people, that's all they do. Oh, let's put that in there. Oh, let's put in that. Yeah. Oh, let's, Oh, we're going to cut these five slides. And I'm like, thank God and replace them with these 20 slides. It's like, Oh, boy. well, okay. We we're going the wrong way here. So the most successful things, um, it just, it comes down to content and, and if you want good design, which you should, better design will come from more concise and limited content. I, I can't, you know, people, a, a lot of times clients will say when we're talking about aesthetics of, of presentation or design, I'll say, you know, what are the things you like? I'll, I'll ask them to send me some examples. And a lot of times they'll say, oh, I love Apple presentations. I love, you know, when Steve Jobs presented, mm -hmm. I love that style. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I love it too. But what you've sent me is slide after slide with 20 bullet points. Uh, that wasn't the content that Apple used or uses now. If you can get to their type of content, I can help you look at that way, make it look that way. But, you know, content affects design, design affects content. And if you don't have both, you know, if you're not willing to uh, work on both simultaneously, then mm. um, I, the design is, is just going to be limited. Yeah. yeah. I find that very interesting. We talk to people who do messaging, you know, as their core part of their work. Um, and of course they're going to say content, 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 but then we talk to someone who does design and the answer is still content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what it comes down to. And you know, they always say, uh, can you start designing? We'll send you the content, you know, next week, or can you start designing these charts? I'll send you the data next week. I'm like, no, you send me the charts like that, that Indiana Jones seems like, no, 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 you know, throw me that, throw me the idol first. Yeah. It's like, no, no, you used to give me the data first. You give me the content first. I, we always ask for 95% of final content. You know, you give that to me and then we can work on it. It's not a, it's not a skin. It's not something, a template that you can just throw stuff in. The templates that we design for, for clients tend to be, if you just look at the template itself with no content, they look pretty unspectacular they're mm. kind of like empty frames with like a logo and i say like our goal is to create a canvas for the content if the template absent of content has swishes and this and all like lots of stuff going on that's going to overpower and compete with the content content mm -hmm. is king so um 
yeah, so I mean, there's a, we still do template work and there's still a lot to it. But when they think they're going to get like this magical slide that they can just put bullet points in, it's going to look great. I sort of try to disabuse them of that early on. Um, yeah. If you're sitting in the office and you've got a presentation coming up and you don't have a huge amount of time for the design aspect, so you know, you've got a clear message and, and the content there. Mm-hmm. And you know, like we have in design at our disposal and probably pretty advanced with PowerPoint. Like if you're not, what, what are some shortcuts there? What are some, some tips you would say about like, I just want to get something that looks a little bit designed pretty quickly? Uh, are you hiring me to put lipstick on a pig or no, I mean, I'm serious because like, are you saying, if or, you were to give this advice to someone who's sitting there just stuck, oh, okay. like they don't, maybe so they what, don't, they don't have like the brand guideline or they've never had to design something before. Where would you go to start making your slides looking from average to awesome? Uh, use PowerPoint designer, especially if you're not a PowerPoint designer, um, that can help get you there. And PowerPoint designer these days now works with templates. So if you have a decent template, it'll at least keep you on brand. Um, I don't know what are the, what's the easiest thing to do if you're not, I mean, if you're telling me like the content's not going to change significantly, I'm going to have my bullet points. Um, I guess the main things I would, I would suggest trying to do is start splitting slides up. So you don't have so much content on each slide. Anytime you see bullet points, try to chunk them out in some way. Uh, chunking is basically a technique where you take every vertical list of, of bullet points and you, you take each bullet point and you sort of try to lay it out on the slide horizontally in a little chunk or a box or something. And there, it's a technique. There, it's like a cooking technique. There are lots of variations and riffs on it, but essentially get out of that vertical list of bullet points, start putting the content in different places. Um, use big imagery, go big, use full screen imagery. Um, just uh, try to have less, try to get down to one message per slide, try to work on your headers so that the header basically gives you, is, is making this, the assertion, it's paying its rent, as I say, um, and then you're kind of proving it on the slide so it's not a car- categorical header. Um, and then the last thing I would just say overall is just consistency. Right. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Just use the template, use header boxes, reapply the master, make things sure things line up, um, reduce the words in your header. And if nothing else, you'll have 20 slides with consistent headers that tell you something, 20 points. And if there are bullet points there, you weren't able to do anything about them, fine. But you can still flip through that deck reading the headers. They're all in the same spot and you get a pretty good idea still of what that deck's about, even without reading everything. Yeah, right. The consistency makes sense. It it feels like um, it's more important to have been thoughtful and considered about how you display the content rather than sort of design it to look quote unquote pretty. Uh, yeah, I mean, it comes down to uh, tomorrow. Um, well, this will come out way after after this this comes out probably. But um, tomorrow, um, I'm hosting. I, I host a, a regular webinar with uh, with Julie Turberg for the Presentation Guild. Uh, plug for the Presentation Guild. If you're not a member, join. Uh, so we have these members only once a month uh, webinars. We we swap off. Julie does one month, and I host. Then I do one month, and she hosts. And anyway, so next she's been doing this series on. Uh, design principles. And tomorrow is all about hierarchy. And so I got a preview of it today. And she really goes through how to use hierarchy in a slide. So essentially, what's the first thing you look at? That should be the most important thing on the slide. And there are various ways to do that. So no designers call it eye gaze. 
you want to control how somebody goes through a slide, what they look at first, what they look at second, what they look at last. And it's the same thing in a chart. So, so that just understanding hierarchy, that alone will get you, you know, as close to the finish line as anything else. In my data viz training, I, I put up at the very beginning, I put up uh, a poster of Casablanca. Now there, there have been a number of versions of, of the poster, but this one in particular, um, has Bogey and Bergman right in the center in color and, and the, the supporting cast in black and white, the little uh, you know, faces around there and the text is in different size. And I basically, I ask people what, they're look, what they look at first, second, third, fourth, and all the way through the poster. And invariably, it's always the same. And I say, this designer who just died, his name was Bill Gold, uh, he died just a couple of years ago at age like 95. I said, he just controlled everybody in this room. He just used eye gaze to manipulate you. He used graphic design to tell you what to look at in what order to tell the story of this movie in poster form. Hmm. So you basically had no control over that. You looked at Bogart and Bergman first. Then you looked at their names. Then you looked at the supporting characters. Then you, the last thing you look at is the director. That was the least important thing. Do you know the director of Casablanca? No. No, exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. So, um, one of the most famous movies, nobody knows the director because the studio didn't really care. He wasn't a name. Yeah. Um, so, he, his is the smallest type on that poster. It says, don't look at me till the very end, if at all. Um, so, yeah. So, understanding that in a slide, just knowing what you should be looking at first, second, third, fourth um, is, is really important. Makes yeah. a lot of sense, yeah. The first thing I'm doing when I jump off here is going finding that poster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's sure. it's the more square one. Um, you'll 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 see it when it's you'll see yeah. it when, yeah. you, when you see All it. All right. Oh, cool. I'll put a link in the show notes too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so can I uh, kind of backtrack? Uh, we're just kind of jumping all over the shop here, but that's okay. Can you tell me the difference between a dashboard versus a live presentation? Um, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll you first work with say dashboards. Yeah, I don't do a ton of dashboarding because yeah. uh, I don't really work in Tableau that much. You know, we'll yeah. do them occasionally in PowerPoint or Excel, but yeah, I'm not like a, again, I, to me, that gets more into the sort of analytical, you know, numbers sort of slogging. So even though they should be well-designed, um, mm -hmm. so I don't do a ton of them, but a dashboard is a referenceable type of chart or a referenceable collection of charts. You're supposed to go back to it over and over. Now that said, within it, you might want the top line, hey, how were our sales last quarter? Boom, that's gotta be a one second chart. You wanna you know, get that story. But in general, the parts of a dashboard is you spend time with it, you reference it versus a chart in a slide, I mean, you should never be putting up eight charts on a slide, but eight charts in a, in a dashboard makes total sense. Yeah. So again, in, in a presentation, it should be glanceable. Um, it should, you should be telling the story of a chart where very often, back to what we were talking about before, a, a, um, a dashboard is a lot of times up for the viewer or the reader to interpret, to get information out and to slice and dice and say, okay, let's now let's look at the East. Now let's look at the West. Now let's, you know, look at, you know, last month's versus this month's. Uh, so that, so they're, they're, they have a purpose uh, in the world, certainly. Yeah. And one of my, one of my early books and a great book on, uh, on presentation, on chart, on data visualization, sorry, is uh, Stephen Few's book. I think it's called Dashboard Design, I think. Um, that was an early book. Stephen Few's kind of, um, kind of left the data viz world as far as I can tell, but he's still got a lot of great books that yeah. uh, still have a lot, of, a lot of good stuff in them. Yeah, right. Cool. 
that probably leads us quite nicely into a question we ask a lot of people. And I'm looking at I'm looking at your background there, Nolan. There's a, a fantastic looking bookshelf. I'm wondering if there's a uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if there's a particular book or resource that's influenced the way that you present. Sure. Let me, uh, let me, let me, let me look through them. I mean, I've got all of them. I got, I got the hits. I got the Gar Reynolds. I got Nancy Duarte, everything she wrote. Um, what, uh, I think, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to give him his due. Um, I'm going to go back to Tufty, right? Yeah. Cause everybody loves Edward Tufty. Everybody loves to, um, you know, dismiss him these days and, and he loves dismissing everybody else in the world always has. Um, you know, still as cantankerous as ever, but those books are beautiful, beautifully designed. And, and he, I was just reading something the other day. He, I think he mortgaged his house. He second mortgaged his house in order to produce the first one because no publisher would touch it. So the books are beautiful. Um, there are some things that we've sort of moved beyond, but he's mm-hmm. still seminal and still a lot of stuff in there is stuff, you know, about reducing chart junk and making things simpler and clear. Those are still things that I use every day in charting and in presentation design. So those books, you know, just because just they've been around forever and, you know, he's not considered sort of a top thought leader, you know, current thought leader. Um, I, think they're, I think they're great. I think everybody should have them on their bookshelf. And if you, yeah. if you have them on your bookshelf, but you haven't read them, <laughs> you just flip <laughs> through them, read them. Trust me, just do one chapter at a time. They are beautiful and they're really well written and there's a lot to take out of them. So I'll, I'll give Tufty his due. Yeah, cool. Because he is the original data viz guy. Yeah, He's, I mean. Yeah, the yeah, original I mean, four later kind of. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're John Snow's and you're... Uh, well, that's going back. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're they the original. So I read uh, who was who's who's bar, uh, I'm blanking on the the inventor of the pie chart and bar chart. Um, help me out with this. No, uh, because I just read um, uh, Playfair. I'm sorry, William Playfair. Oh, okay. Um, back yeah. in the 1800s. So William Playfair. I just read a, a biography. Somebody wrote a biography of him last year, which was kind of interesting. He was like a spy to had a lot of anyway. So no, yes. Th- I mean, they invented them, but Tufty really kickstarted or I always say sort of the godfather of modern information design. So yeah, he really, you know, started the, the current study uh, of that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Thank you for that. I, um, I must admit, I do not have Tufty's books and I probably really should. <laughs> and to wrap up, when, where can people find you? Uh, presentyourstory.com um, is my blog. Never, mm-hmm. never as updated as often it should, as it should be. Uh, my, my corporate site is Nolan Hames Creative. Dot com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter where I'm much more active than in the other two sites uh, at Nolan Hames, um, the presentation podcast you can find and wherever you get your podcasts and uh, we'll leave it there. That's um, <laughs> And I must say the presentation podcast, there's no boss in that one. Just the presentation yeah. podcast. Yes. I've been listening for years and I looked this morning. It's my most listened to podcast ever. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So listening to you three guys, great value. I'd like super recommend that. And there'll be links to all of that in the show notes where you can find a bit more about Nolan. But And I'm glad to, uh, to know you guys now and uh, we'll be promoting you as well. We'll do a little cross promotion. Awesome. Thanks so much. So thanks for being on the podcast, Nolan. And I'm looking forward to maybe chatting again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. 
If you know someone that you'd like to hear from on this show or think that you have something of value to share, email us at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week. I was going to write into your podcast though, because I was listening to oh, can, the Canva episode, I think, because um, I've just, I've just been, so I'm, I just knew. <laughs> I was going to say, you did say something about is, are they call pie graph, they call bar charts, column charts or something. You're like, oh, maybe that's an Australian thing. No, I do so much work trying to get people to stop calling column charts, bar charts. Okay, so so you still have columns go up and bars go to the side, right? Correct. Okay, got People it. People just call them all bar charts. They um, don't even know that there is two separate words for them.